Welcome to the Book Corner with me, Mish Atagana, a podcast for book lovers and book lovers adjacent. So if you want to hear discussions about books, um, world building, characters, plot, plot twist, this is the podcast for you. It is a discussion-based podcast that really delves into a story and what makes us love the story. So I hope you enjoy the Book Corner with me, Mish Atagana. Hi guys, welcome back to the book corner. I'm so excited that you've joined me for today's discussion. Today is a very, very special discussion because it is a song of wraiths and ruin. If you follow me on Instagram, you know I had a dramatic beginning with this book. I almost stopped reading it, but I got into it deep and deep. It is inspired by West African folklore. So naturally, of course, I have to read it. I'm Nigerian. It's important that I uphold the traditions of my people. But it's also something about kind of seeing, you know, African stories and the mainstream. This is a, I think it's a Sunday Times bestseller, this book. So it's really nice to see these kind of characterizations that represent, you know, um, a, a different group of people out in the world, in the mainstream world. Uh, those of you that read Children of Blood and Bone kind of understand what I'm talking about. And there's a lot of similarities between the Children of, of Blood and Bone and this book. So it could also be why I just really enjoyed reading it so much. So our story is set in the backdrop of this desert kingdom of Zaran, which is located somewhere in West Africa. I feel that it's probably like modern-day Ghana uh, type you know, modern-day Ghana, maybe a bit of Cote d'Ivoire uh, that this is, um, you know, uh, based in. The author is Ghanaian uh, or Ghanaian-American. And we are here in this kingdom that is, like, full of intrigue. It's a bustling city. So many things are happening, you know. It's where high society lives. But there's also, like, a lot of political things going on, right? And in the same world, we have, like, a little bit of, like, intrigue around magic, where like the the story magic has to has to uh, play or the role it plays in the story and the story tells in people's lives we have um the kind of catalyst of our plot which is the Solstalgia festival i hope i'm saying that right Solstalgia. i think that's how you should pronounce it this festival which our story literally is at the backdrop we begin on the eve of Solstalgia, the story so it's super exciting i got legit transfixed, you know, the minute uh, I, I, I kind of gave the book a chance. And it turned a corner for me when I kind of realized that our characters are doomed to fail. I know, it's a bit morbid, but the plot is, is, is kind of designed that way where it's impossible for the characters to win. And it just lays the road down for a very fascinating story. So this is part of a duology. Uh, the first one being a song of a song of wraiths and ruin, which we are uh, discussing today. And the second one being a psalm of storm and silence, uh, which I've also finished reading and we will likely discuss that next week. Yeah, so let's let's get into it, right? So the story clearly inspired by just some really amazing West African folklore, and we we even 
kind of begin our story with a real calling for people to gather to hear a story, right? And griots for context are these storytellers, based uh, um, West African traditional storytellers that pass on knowledge through their stories, like fables and warnings and folklore, which is super uh, exciting for me in, in, in terms of just kind of following the story. So a plot kind of kicks off with a tragic, you know, um, events begin on two sides of the pond. So we've got Karina, who's a princess of the land of Zaran, and she is painted as a very selfish character. She doesn't want to rule. She just wants to get out of Zaran. She, she doesn't want to be there. And she's now forced to be in Zaran. She learns of, you know, the secret of their kingdom and what keeps their kingdom going. And her fate is now bound to upholding the secret and this kingdom. And there she is ready to have to take responsibility that she was never interested in. But because of a tragedy that now occurs, she it leaves her struggling to protect the kingdom uh, while she tries to grieve. And on the other hand of the story, we have Malik. He is our, kind of one of our protagonists as well. He and his sisters are, you know, trying to fight for a better life only to be swept into some sort of malevolent spirit's dark bargain where um, to save his sister, Malik must kill Princess Karina. And this literally sets him on a path towards her, which becomes so much more complicated because nostalgia is happening and he must find a way to get inside this palace, right? And things really begin to to grow uh, more intriguing and uh, a web, there's like there's a whole web of many, many things that tie our characters almost in place, right? So I, like I said, I got into, I got deep into this simply because I was like, there is no winning. These are the, our two main characters. The aim for us as readers is rooting for both of them, but we have to root for one. And because for one to live or for one to survive, the other must fall, right? And for Karina, she wants to revive her mother, who the queen who has just been killed. And she's not aware that Malik has to kill her in other to save his sister's life from this dark spirit. While on the other hand, while Malik is getting, you know, ready to try and kill uh, Princess Karina, he's also very unaware that this woman that he's trying to kill, who, by the way, he started to grow a little bit attracted to, uh, also has our own deadly plan, which hinges on his life. So we're like, okay, what's going to happen? And I, I kind of look at the way that all of this is played and the magic that's enabling all of this, right? So Malik, who has spent his whole life um, seeing things, uh, is convinced has been convinced that something is wrong with him. He has like been riddled with anxiety and panic attacks, and just having to dig deep within himself to survive on a daily basis. Realizes, spoiler alert, he has magic, and that magic is part of some of the things 
that have been, you know, plaguing his life and the things that people have thought were demon possession or crazy or whatever it is, the way they've described him is actually his magic and he can conjure things. So he can, he can kind of almost speak things into being, uh, he, he's a, he's a storyteller and he can storytell with his magic and he's wrestling with, you know, what to do about what he must do, kill this woman and save his sister's life. And I found some of the, like key drivers for for this the the plot of the story very fascinating like for me the idea of grief right for karina grief is at the core of every bad decision she makes this entire narrative literally hinges on karina's grief-stricken desires she wants to reunite with her mother she's torn by grief about what happened to her dad and her sister she's torn by grief about the 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 and the undercurrent of tensions that are in her life about what she must do as a leader who she must be you know as an elsari she she's torn by grief by the role of magic and and the conflicts that magic uh plays in their lives and in deciding their destiny thereof or lack thereof right and also malik's bargain it's on the other side of that coin literally is driven by this deep love for her for his sister malik is desperate desperate to win his pact with this vengeful spirit who plot twists in the end is hella involved in in all these characters lives uh, has like key relations with, with these characters and it literally for him is like there's a ticking clock to assassinate this person and i must beat the clock in other to save my sister's life. And that truly amplifies the suspense of the story and the way the story is told. Um, then we have this nostalgia, which is like kind of a really interesting, you know, uh, festival where it's like a comet goes by every 50 years. By the end of this comet, every kind of, uh, so every, every deity uh, or deity aligned member of the community um, come together. So they pick one representative from each deity. So there's a life aligned, there's the water aligned, there's the fire aligned, all these different kind of ways they, they align with different deities in this world. And whichever champion wins Sostalgia, which is a series of challenges, I thought of Sostalgia like the Triwizard Tournament. Those of you that read Harry Potter, imagine the Triwizard Tournament, but with like... West Africans doing the most, right? And whoever wins the nostalgia, you know, challenges, their deity is the one that will guide the people in the next era. So they are coming off the era of fire. And if water wins, water becomes the the deity of choice. If fire if fire wins again, another fifty years of fire. But so that's how they get to decide which deity will guide them into the next era of of their of their land. So yeah, so nostalgia is crucial to the plot. But also, if like nostalgia doesn't go to plan with an Alsari, you know, deciding the winner or the winner arising and Alsari being the root, the the family, the royal family, which now Karina is the only surviving member, you know. 
bestowing the gift, the kingdom will become unprotected to the forces of magic, which now changes everything. So Karina is like, I must make sure. Nostalgia, one, nostalgia goes off as planned. So her mother's death on the eve of nostalgia, but nostalgia must go on as planned. She, as queen or incoming queen, must ensure that everything goes according to, you know, the sacred laws of nostalgia. She needs to find a champion and find a way to resurrect her mother, make sure that when that comet passes, it everything has been appeased to the gods, which it must be appeased to in order to make sure the kingdom stays protected from external forces of magic. Like, how insane is that? By the way, this girl's like, what, 16, 17-year-old? I'm like, come on. Is, is this not a lot for a child? And then on the other side, you've got, you know, this high-stakes competition where, you know, Malik is trying his best to win as nostalgia or at least perform well as nostalgia. He's having panic attacks. He's got this princess who has decided that the winning prize is her hand for marriage, but she's also playing some weird-ass mind games. Like, not only is he plotting the, the murder, he's now under scrutiny at the palace because everyone in the palace for Sostasia is being heavily watched, right? So that also gets super uh, crazy for him. He and his sister are trying to figure out ways to win. The people in the competition, they've been in there for the longest time. They've been training. Their families are noble blood. He's an outsider, and they're trying to figure it out, right? So I really, really like um, just that high-stakes intensity. And I think for me, that's that's what the turning point was, right? Because when I first started reading it, I just thought Karina and Malik were such annoying babies. Like, can you please stop with the whining and, and the woes me uh, kind of life? But once our vengeful spirit got in the game and the mother dies and we kind of realize what's about to happen, the way the story is about to intersect, I was just like, hang on two seconds. What is happening? But I also really love like this mental health um, play here where anxiety and just can children be allowed to be children, you know? And this is something I want to discuss maybe in another podcast, but there, there is so much pressure that was put on Malik as a child. Malik had to deal with so much loss and having to understand what it means to do anything that it just gave him a lot of stress. You know what I mean? <coughs> yeah, and so that stress for Malik, it's literally, it's wild. So this boy is trying to save his sister, his little sister. His oldest sister is also under pressure because... She's like, fam, when are you going to do the deed? Because our sister's life is a stake. And I also don't know if the author spent a lot of time just with the external characters. And the external character here, I suppose, being Layla, the older sister, confronting what it meant for Malik to have to take a life. So Malik, again, was also, what, 16, 17? Like, what it meant to take someone's life. I didn't really feel that... Layla spent enough time to understand the gravity of what Malik had to do. Um, I, I definitely know she had sympathy for it, for sure. But 
did she understand the gravity of that choice? I don't know. Because for her, it's how do we save our, our sister, which is fair, which is a, a fair thing for her to do. Uh, so this, this I think, for me was, was a, a huge thing, you know. And there was a lot of, like, moments for Malik where he's getting to know this princess. She's not the brat that he's been made to think she is. There's elements where he sees her vulnerability, you know, kindness and you know despite like her position Karina finds herself in a position of great weakness due to just her loss and the political instability of of the the kingdom right you've got like someone killed her mother her mother was killed by an assassin so there's a traitor within their court as Karina is trying to secure her throne and her position as you know the next queen, the traitor adds layers, layers of political like confusion and stress for her to figure everything out. And this also endangers her because first there's the danger from Malik who is like, I got to kill this person for my sister to live. But who is the traitor within the court? And what does that traitor have to kind of, you know, lose if if they don't also kill Karina. So I think a lot of that is super, you know, like intriguing for me as well. And if you also look at the the way kind of the the, the intertwined nature of the of the plot threads in the story, it really creates a gripping narrative. Like I said, I struggled with these characters, I think, in the first maybe 50 or so pages of the story. But as you kind of see the thread goes, it it really creates a gripping narrative. Like, yeah, you, I was left asking questions like, okay, is Karina going to bring, like, you know, ruin to Zoran? Uh, is she going to be the downfall of the kingdom as she thinks she is? And is... Malik really going to kill this woman who he's clearly like falling for? Like, what is he going to do? And who is actually the traitor? Who is the real traitor in this court? And how far will this traitor go if Malik doesn't kill Karina, who is clearly the last of the royal bloodline? And is that their end goal? Did they kill, you know, the queen to wipe out the royal bloodline? If so, why did they only kill the the queen and not Karina at the same time like what does that actually mean and is this attraction between these two people is it going to change the outcomes of their clearly very intertwined destinies right so that for me was also like such a super like interesting thing and from a character point of view I really love like for me the griot telling the story I was into this this griot she was out here like causing chaos. Like she was legit the queen of chaos, an entity of chaos. And I just found the the added plot dynamics and also the hints she gave like our characters as the the, the story goes without them knowing who this person is. For me, that was super fascinating. Um, I like from a character point of view that you know, the supporting cast as well was so, I'm like, cast, they should make this into a movie. Please make this into a movie. Uh, the supporting characters here also create, like, a level of excitement for me um, in terms of just how they contribute to the stress of our characters. So Layla, be it a voice of reason, but Layla is, like, 
fam, I'm going to need you to do the deed. Go kill a person so we can save our sister. And both of those things are both fueled by intense love for her family, but also a sense of duty as the oldest, right? And then there's all these other characters. Like we have Farid, who is a major plot twist in the story, but I'm not going to give it away. I am not. But he is a major, major plot twist in the story. And then Aminata, who is Kirina's friend and her handmaiden, who is literally added an extra layer of com- complexity. And there's a there's a, a there's, there's loyalty and betrayal and ambition uh, within the palace walls. And these supporting characters are the crux of that. You know, uh, I also enjoyed the clash between Kirina and Malik's personalities, like the way like the things they desire, their so- their social circumstances. Uh, mind you, Malik's family is, their family is like kind of at the bottom of the food chain or their tribe, their people at the bottom of the food chain. So they had to fake papers to get into Zaran. They couldn't really tell people what tribe they're from because they're spat on and treated very poorly, right? So there's a hella high sense of xenophobia and, you know, uh, tribal um uh, discrimination here as well that's tackled. So for me, also thinking about the, this clash in, in personality and social standing is super interesting and it's so central, you know, to the tension of the story. And the enemy to lovers trope, you know, is always an exciting one, but there is a genuine risk involved with this one, right? Because again, one of them has to die. And who is it going to be? And it's not just their hearts on the line for whatever happens, it's their lives, but not just their lives, but the fate of so many other people. So if Karina doesn't kill Malik to gain the heart of a king in order to, you know, restore her mother, their whole kingdom falls from Karina's point of view. If If Malik doesn't kill Karina to honor the bargain, of you know of the uh, of the vengeful spirit, he loses a sister, which sends his family into chaos and disarray. Like, what is a person to do in in this in this scenario, right? So I really thought that was super interesting. I also really quite like the world. The world was very visual. I just wish that you know we could have gotten to see the roles spirits play. But perhaps we'll see a little bit more of that in the next book, which I don't want to talk about now because I want to talk about it in the other uh, in, in its own podcast. So I, I I I really really like how the connection to kind of our vengeful spirit is like laid out at the end, and we kind of have this oh wow moment, right? There's like two major oh wow moments. Actually, I think there's about three. There's three major OWAL moments, one tied to the vengeful spirit, which is then in tied to the said comet, and another one tied to like um like a loyal friend, which would go, whoa. Uh, and I and I, I really thought, oh my goodness, oh wow. And I I I enjoyed like getting to this point where I'm like, wait. They're really gonna kill this person? What? How? Is this is gonna happen? And that for me was super exciting. So thoroughly, thoroughly loved this this book, and I I couldn't wait. Like I I started reading it. Um, I I bought it on Kindle, and I started reading it, and I was like, oh, how am I gonna get into this book? And like I said, as soon as I got into it, I was like, I have to buy the second book of this. I ordered the second book immediately on Kindle. I even ended up when I was done reading both books. 
buying the paperbacks just to have it because that's how excited I was and how into it I ended up being. So just love it. From a, a, a plot point of view, I love this kind of inevitable end that it had, you know, for A Song of Wraiths and Ruin. And I also really enjoyed the fact that our characters were not designed to be loved. They were designed to be heavily flawed. And they were also designed to be mirrors for our teenage selves. And I actually quite like that. Um, and like I said, the world building is exciting, but I'm really hoping book two just develops a little bit more of that magical realism, that world of the spirits. And based on the events of the end of, you know, book one, it feels you know, that's the catalyst to, to kind of really delve in into the magic elements here. So thoroughly, thoroughly incredible. I do hope they turn it into a movie, though. I think it will make a really fun movie um, and things like that. If they turn this into a movie, someone please invite me to set to talk to Roseanne Brown and some of the, car uh, the, the cast and see how they think about it. That's a wrap, readers. I hope you enjoyed that. Until next time, keep reading and keep discussing. You can find me on Instagram at GlobeMish. You can find me on TikTok as Mish Atagana without the E. Hopefully, we can talk more about these books. Until next time. <laughs>